Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. But I think in terms of Web3, the way I would describe it to people is a new evolution of the way we interact, we buy and sell online. Three, two, one. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hello, everybody. I'm Ulvia Jaffarli, a data scientist in Italy. Although I'm living in Rome, originally I am from Azerbaijan. While thinking about how long it took for me to be a tech woman in the technology world, I felt the responsibility and desire to help other women as much as I can. Therefore, I developed the TechDevops platform to support others who want to achieve in technology. Because I believe women have ability to do great things. For us, sharing, helping, developing as one is the most important value. What I would like to emphasize is just do not afraid to fail, do not limit yourself with little success. Think bigger, learn, fail, repeat, experience, and reach the inaccessible. No matter how hard the challenge is, go for it. If not now, then when? LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating incredible women in tech from all around the world. My name is Catherine Roan, and I have the absolute privilege of guest hosting this episode. And with me here today is Mariella from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Mariella. Thanks, Kat. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for making the time. Look, I'm going to let you do the honours, so please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days. My name's Mariella, um, as um, most of you now know, but uh, I have a really long career in marketing, um, have worked in agencies, created my own, um, worked with over 90 brands in eight years, which uh, is the reason why I have some grey hairs. And um, over the last year, I made it full-time into Web3, um, and that's kind of where my passions lie now. 90 brands in eight years. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't know, but it did. It was a lot of work. So we were um, the tiny agency that could, very outcomes focused. Um, So we were kind of like the, I called it the anti-agency agency, where our focus around marketing was actually bringing marketing and sales together so that we could actually give customers outcomes. And so we would focus on the outcome and not just, you know, creative and ideas. It was very much like, our marketing really affects your bottom line. Yeah, it's always interesting, isn't it? Like there's always that fight within a company like, oh, no, it's marketing's fault. Oh, no, it's sales fault. And it's kind of, it's really nice that you kind of put those two narratives together and going together, obviously they influence each other and, and, can, and can impact the final outcome, which is really, really cool. And so where did, in terms of for you and marketing, were you always a creative person? You know what, I've always been really creative and I think one of the things I've always really enjoyed, my career really started in events. Um, so I kind of fell into events 
I have a really long bio, which I don't often share, but um, but I had a I had a birthday party while my parents were away one one year. I may have been 18 at the time. But you know, this like tiny idea of like having a birthday party ended up with me having like three bands um in the backyard. I had like far too many guests. I won't say how many because I'm fairly certain that probably wasn't quite legal. And um and I realized that I had this like passion for like bringing things together. As my my events career developed, uh, what I realized was that I had a real passion for bringing people together in whatever way possible. So I had that kind of um, gift of the gab, I guess, if you will, to try and kind of convince people to to do whatever crazy idea I was doing. So that's how my career in marketing started. And so how did you, I mean, grassroots, real grassroots starts at an 18th year old, like 18 year old party. How did you manage to convince these bands and then the hundreds of people who actually came to the birthday? That's a really good question. I have no idea. No, look, I think the more I work in this space and particularly now in Web3, it's really, really evident because there is just gigantic focus on community. But I think you can always bring people together through a vision. So the vision was such, and I kind of sold them on the idea of, of the vision and um, and somehow it ended up being this really transformative moment in my life. Um, it wasn't just the party. It was actually like the catalyst for what my career was going to be next. That's so cool. And so did you stop at just that one birthday party or did people just come up to you and be like, Mariala, can you do that for me? Can you do that for me? You know what? I think one birthday party was probably enough with the... <laughs> With the cleanup that happened afterwards, but uh, my poor neighbours as well. But, uh, yeah, I started organising events. So I started uh, organising exhibitions. So I started working in full-time and um, exhibitions in large-scale conferences. Um, did some really cool stuff. Um, but that's not kind of where I was destined to be. I was actually studying to become a pilot, right? So, yeah, life took a 360. I know. <laughs> I was the only woman in a in a class of like, I think it was 17 boys and me. That's really interesting. And tell me, you were in pilot school. What made you decide to leave pilot school? I, <laughs> I really enjoyed talking on the, uh, on the speaker <laughs> and I really didn't enjoy physics. So it was a no-brainer. <laughs> it was not for me. Okay, so really the ideal career for you is if I just gave you a megaphone and just let you rip. <laughs> I can talk underwater with a loaf of bread in my mouth. I promise you. Can I just confirm that that's pretty much what she said to me when I first reached out to her and said, I'd love to get you on the podcast. She goes, oh my God, I can, you know, talk underwater, eating food, no dramas, anything you want. And I was like, you're on. Yeah. So, you know what? You're you're about to find out. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. This is this is the battle. The battle is who who's going to be quiet first, I reckon. And so you went from events and then did you kind of, obviously you were doing somewhat what you were doing in the marketing career, right? Like um, putting things together and, and just sharing the vision with people and getting them on board from that. So is that kind of, did you transition straight from the events to having your own marketing agency? So look, not really. Um, I kind of always had this vision. I, um, I'm still really good friends with my boss when I was in my early 20s. And one of the things that I, um, I said to her in our job interview was that one day I really wanted to own my business. But I thought that I would own a business when I was a grown up. 
and you know I still keep waiting to grow up um but <laughs> it has still hasn't happened so yeah so I always kind of had this vision of wanting to own a business one day it was just something that like I really it was this thing like it was so deep in me it was just uh, that was my goal I didn't know what the business was going to be but I transitioned kind of um from events social media started to come out at that time so I'm going to show you how um, old I was but um social media started to kind of come out at that time and my (laughs) my space I remember myspace do you know what I was having the same conversation with my best friend she was like I wasn't the myspace generation and I was like I was the myspace generation and that was when I had cool music taste. Like, you know, you would share it. I would never share my Spotify, Spotify playlist now. You know how everyone's like, oh, look at my top 20. Would never do that. It's too shameful. I can never let anyone like into that. Anyway, look, it was only sidetracked straight away. But um, I also remember when Spotify launched as well. So that goes to show. And I also remember when Tinder launched. Um, and they're all kind of connected because here's a segue. We're all kind of connected because I actually left Mark events to kind of work more in marketing because I was really drawn to how social media had direct links into consumers. So instead of marketing being this like one-way street of brands just sending out messages, it was actually you could send out and receive real time. Um, And that was fascinating to me. So I did the very Australian thing and I moved to the UK. And I worked for a um, tech company. Um, they were they were a massive consultancy. They had dating apps. They had a radio station, and worked in marketing there. And that was a really fascinating journey. That's kind of where it started me off on like really kind of deep tech. And uh, and then look, that was kind of the journey into um, into working with other tech companies. And then very quickly, I started to see that uh, marketing was this specialty in itself. And when I was sitting one day in this really gigantic marketing agency um, after I had come home from the UK and there was like 27 people to do one thing, and I was like, wow, this, this isn't efficient. This isn't actually good for the client. This isn't actually getting them outcomes. That's kind of where my business was born um, and I went from there. And so from what I can hear, it's kind of – Almost you became like an accidental marketer. You know, you didn't go to school for it. You didn't go to uni to study marketing to do that. How did you how did you kind of embrace that transition that, that you had where you, you were just like, oh, I'm not technically not a marketer, but here I am, I'm marketing. Like how was that for you, that learning curve, that initial sort of dipping your toe into the water? You know what, that's like, I think they call that imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome was real. The only way I got over it was to realise I was an imposter. <laughs> and then and that was like hold on a second I am an imposter because you're right I did start studying marketing actually um and I've got half a half a degree um which I'm really proud of thank you so much my mum is still holding that space on the wall I don't know if your mum or your parents do this but my very Hispanic mother puts like education such a huge thing in in Hispanic culture um because you know and understandably so. So she's still got that space in the wall waiting for my certificate to kind of come in. Um, it's been – she points to it every now and then. She's just like, you know, and I just, you know, i like, I just don't know how to tell her. Because you know what happened, Kat, was when I was studying my marketing degree, it was around the same time that social media came out when I was telling you about before, and what I was studying in marketing and what I was practising in real life were like miles apart 
And then I saw what was actually happening and what could be possible for brands. And the speed was just, it was like, by the time I had done one thing in 24 hours, the university couldn't catch up. So I kind of went into more the practice mode of it. And look, it served me really well because um, I've kind of learned as I've, uh, on the job as I've gone. That's really cool. Um, and I totally agree with you when it comes to, I guess maybe maybe saying it's a disconnect is unfair, you know, for universities because they're trying to do their best. They've got the syllabus that's established, but then trying to do that in real time, you know, to update to what's currently happening in industry obviously is very hard. But there is a huge, I guess, massive canyon between what you learn at school from a theory perspective and then what you apply when you get into work. And I think that's a really interesting conversation to have, especially when you're talking to students, you know, who are graduating and they're like, oh, I think I want to do this. And it's really weird. Like when I was talking to my students in class and they wanted to do certain fields, I was like, why don't you just go and work in there? You know, get an internship or just work in there first and do it on the job. But the narrative is and always has been, no, no, you got to study it first you know, before you can do it. So it's really interesting that you kind of just went all in and was like, uh, I think there's a lot of self-awareness on your behalf though, to be able to go, oh, this is a big thing for me and my family, but I think I'm going to learn more and have more impact if I actually go and do it. Um, and did you have mentors when you were sort of first starting? I did. Look, it was, it was a really lucky time, right? Because, you know, um, everyone was kind of building their platforms and sharing content. So I got to follow a lot of really important people. Um, but I think tinkering was the thing that really kind of my best way of learning and I think it is still the best way of learning for me so I think kind of recognizing that is like you know I'm not a good textbook student but then saying that I go into massive rabbit holes about like the most random stuff but um and then go deep into the textbook so so yeah look it it is it is very much around how you learn but I was very lucky at the time I did have wonderful mentors and um in the businesses I was working with they gave me a lot of kind of rope to kind of test out different theories and so I kind of learned through case studies which was phenomenal um and there's still things that I use today interesting and so Europe though wasn't the only place that you jet set it off to right you went from Europe and then you went over the US so I worked with a um, tech company in the US and spent a bit of time with them there they were looking to do a go-to-market um here in Australia the fascinating thing about working with all these different kind of like the UK, the US and Australia is um, is just how when it comes to marketing and it comes to people, cultural differences matter. And the way you approach people and the way you communicate with people is very different in each and every continent. And knowing its nuances, like for global companies particularly, so important. The way we do business in Australia is so different to the way that is business is done in, in America. So, for example, yeah, like sales, like think about think about where we're at currently, right? So I'm in Melbourne and well, we're both in Australia and um, if someone rang you and tried to sell you something over the phone, you'd be like, nope, no thanks. Yeah, you'd be like the people that you do business with, you like have a coffee with, you get to know somehow, you have a chat, like, you know, you, you, that's a very Australian way. In the US, it's phone sales. You know, phone. yeah, absolutely. So with this particular tech company, it was, and it was fascinating to see how there was this really big disconnect between what I call the road and the map, right? So if you're on the road, like you and I are in Australia, 
Um, and we've got a map that's like, well, this is the strategy. And you look at the map and the road and they don't match. Most people go, the road is wrong. But actually, it's the map that's wrong. So it was, and, you know, I still use this analogy every day in Web3, but um, but it's it's really interesting where you have to really adapt to the cultures, the ways of the people, and talking to them in the way that they like to be talked to. And I think that's a really important marketing nuance that people don't really kind of um, appreciate as much or give as much attention as it should have. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I guess when you're in that environment, you don't know anything else, you know, unless you were in that same, like, marketing in a different country or I guess even for me, like, teaching in a different country, you don't really realise the nuances until you get deep into the culture and then you realise, well, it's, you know, human connection and communication, which changes depending on where you are and what the context is so it's really interesting and did you find that was a little bit difficult to relay that to companies in the US? It is because it's just a really different way for them to kind of work and understand I remember one of the sales guys uh, was like uh, (laughs) he'd been flown over from the US to kind of establish the sales department here and um, and I remember one time I rang him and he was really out of sorts. Like he was like maybe like 3.30 or something and I was just like maybe he's just got three 3.30-itis. But he was just like, I, I, he's like, I don't know what the hell's going on with Australia. Everyone wants to have a coffee. He's like, I can't do another coffee. He's like, I don't want to go for another coffee. And I, I had to actually say to him, you don't have to drink coffee at every single let's go for a coffee it's a it's kind of like them saying let's get to know each other let me trust you and it was really interesting because I thought that was so hilarious and you know it's been like over 10 years and I still talk about it but I realized just how little was kind of understood in cultures until you get into it so um look I think it's still a tripping point and and on the reverse too right like our speed of doing business in Australia is much slower than the speed of doing business in the US so it's really interesting to know those kind of cultural kind of underbelly. It's, it's like, um, uh, yeah, it's just really important to kind of know those things to do business around the world. Interesting. And so spent a little bit of time in America and then came back, right? Came back to Australia and graced us with your presence. And so you've been talking a lot about this term Web3. Now, this is really difficult because people throw Web3 around a lot and it means a lot of different things, right? So in your perspective if you were to explain web3 to a complete noob without using any of the terminology right how would you describe web3 what is it the way i describe it and i think this is the thing that makes me really passionate about working in marketing in this space is i really like to normalize things for people for example someone asked me recently like nfts i don't get it explain it to me like i'm your grandma and I was like, oh, fantastic. I was like, my mum's a grandma. So NFTs are like a barcode and a flybys rewards program together. And that's what makes them popular. So I love doing that style because then they they were like, oh, God, I get it. And I was like, yes, you do, because we're putting it into everyday life so that you kind of understand it. Um, but I think in terms of Web3, the way I would describe it to people is a new evolution of the way we interact we buy and sell online. No, no, I'm I'm glad. What I'm really glad you didn't do was like web one was this, web two was this, and I'm like, I don't even know why web one and two existed. So like, let, let's like real back, real far. It's so simple, yet for me, it's taken so long to wrap my head around because conceptually, I'm like, yeah, but what's the difference? 
You know what I mean? Like conceptually, how is it different to how we have been buying and interacting online? Yeah, look, it's um, and that's when you kind of go one deeper, one deeper, right? You start talking about decentralization and things not being owned by one particular party. And so um, that's kind of when you go deeper. I actually really appreciate that you said what you said about Web 1 and Web 2 because when normally people ask me about NFTs or you ask anyone on a panel about NFTs, the first thing they do is they give you the acronym. They just break down the acronym. And you're like, yeah, I know the acronym, but, like, can you, like, Tell me what it actually is. Um, so I think it's really important that we start getting very direct and being okay with the fact that we don't that the people that work in Web three don't have to be have all the answers. We don't have to be the experts because no one's an expert in this space. So my answer might be someone else might go, "Oh, that's so layman's, that's so like you know basic," but that's okay because that's where I kind of want to bring people in. I'll you know we'll bring you in from basic and then we build onto that. You know like. What I just said to you is like that's when we start talking about decentralization, about transparency, about, um, you know, anonymity somewhat, you know, all that kind of um, style about cryptocurrencies in the the next layer down. So um, I think it's really important that we break it down for people uh, because that's kind of the way that we're going to bring mainstream adoption. It's really interesting that you've been having the same experiences because when I first started looking into you know, what NFTs and what Web3 was, that was every single article, video, podcast that I would listen to would start off with every letter of the acronym. And I was like, something's not working. And I didn't realise it. (laughs) And I didn't realise the power of language until that point. You know, I've been teaching for ages and I think I took that for granted that the students in my class understood the lexicon. But when I take myself out of it and I try to learn something new, I'm like, this is not the place to start when you want to help educate or just help get someone interested enough to want to learn more you know as soon as you get nfts you're like okay non and then there's a fungible and then the story and then you're, you're you're left with trying to you're stuck on the words and you know whatever you say afterwards just flies over my head so i found that really difficult that's why i just i really like challenging people when they say web3 and nft you go well okay well what is it without jargon and it's it becomes really difficult to explain right because you can't do, oh, it's web one, two, and three. And then there's like, oh, there's fungible and non-fungible and, you know, all that stuff. So, But look, I think the reason being, and, I, and I've spent a really long time to, um, thinking about this because I think I've seen this in web two, like, you know, social media was essentially web two, right? Centralization is in its own by somebody, like a particular person. Um, so, um, you know, Zuckerberg, now Musk with Twitter, whatever, so it's really interesting in Web 2 what happened was exactly the same thing as what's happening now, and I've, and I've been really fortunate to see the evolution of both now, where I remember when 2K, Web 2 came out with, like, you know, the advertising tools that were so incredibly powerful at their time. They were created by engineers and by devs. They were incredibly complicated. You had to learn how to do, you know, back in the day it was power editor. You know, you had to manage the back end of Facebook and figure out how to make this tie with this and then find your, you know, people. It was really complex. As time has gone on, um, it's become really easy. And the reason being is because there's other areas that other people and other roles that have come into the into the market to make it even easier, right? So I think it's the same with Web3, where right now it's being done by engineers and scientists and very smart people, and now the market is starting to come in and giving it 
language that is easy to understand. We're softening language. We're not, you know, doing acronyms and we're not shouting GM, GM into the corner. We're like, by the way, GM means good morning, you know, and beating our chests around it. We're actually going, you know what, this is what it means. It's a kind of code to let to let others know that you're part of this and you're part of this and we're all part of this, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, look, I think it's really important um, always to bring the different kind of roles in businesses into any tech that's developing because in the end it starts making it for the masses. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And the reason why I'm thanking you is because a lot of the time I think that the narrative around getting into tech as an example, is you've got to be an engineer or a dev or something like that. And people with skills who are a bit more creative, like yourself, feel like, well, how do I give to a tech company, you know? And and what you're saying is, well, we need all these roles because we need to make the tech accessible. You know, people play their different roles. The engines make it, the devs make it, but then someone, you know, there's no users because they can't explain it and people don't understand and connect. It's kind of pointless, right? And so thank you for saying that because it almost gives permission to people who are consider themselves as non-tech. Um, to think about, you know, how, well, what, how can I contribute to this tech community if I wanted to? And I can. It's so important that the creatives come in, that the designers come in, that the product managers come in, that the marketers come in, that the wordsmiths come in. It's so important because that's the only way we can actually grow this industry. Because, you know, we're not just building for cisgendered um, white male, pale, stale, you know, we need women. <laughs> We need people of colour. We need, you know, the broad diversity. If this tech is really going to take off, as I believe it will, and I think you and I both agree on this, it needs people that look like you and I. It needs us to have this conversation to say, you know, ignore the crypto bros. Think of them as like, you know, guys on a bachelorette party, right? They're all shouting things into the ether. They're all kind of dressed the same and drinking really bad beer and the best of what it all costs. Like there's merit to them, but like, you know, just come to this other side where there's many aspects. I'm super, super chuffed to be on this podcast because, and that it exists because it's showing women and people of colour and the diversity that if you can see it, you can be it. This is right to the heart there. Let's just take a moment to embrace what I just said. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. And and sometimes people need to hear it, especially from someone who's experienced it as well, um, not someone who's read it through a book and, and is parroting, you know, this is possible. It's like, no, I've actually gone through it and I know it's possible and I know it's possible for you too, so thank you for that message. I just want to double-click on something you said before around how passionate you are and how much you believe that, I guess the technology underlying Web3 is going to take off. Can you just give me a really quick summary of the thesis as to why you think that is? The challenge, I think, with this Web3, I'm going to start using my little commas. I know people can't see us, but I'm like Web3. <laughs> She's doing inverted commas. commas like commas. friends. Yeah. But <laughs> we're going to keep doing it, you know. Um, look, I think the challenge with Web3, commas, commas, is that um, – is that it actually has users for many, many, many things. And when it's everything, it's like, well, yeah, it's everything, you know, but it has a way to transform our work, our lives in many, many ways. The ways that I kind of like to focus on are ways that actually affect us in real life because I think Web3 gets lumped with cryptocurrencies and sometimes the headlines around cryptocurrencies 
they're too good to be true, they sound too good to be true, um, or they're scammy and they're bad, right? But it takes away the spotlight from actually the power of the technology and what it's able to do. So I'll give you an example. The way I started to fall in love with Web3 is because I was working with a lot of wine clients. Awful job, awful job, Did it, hated it, have this wine fridge that's full of delicious things. Awful job. Um, why did I leave? Uh, but um, not career advice. Yeah. Although, however, if you do have good, if you need some good wine advice, but um, but you know what? Uh, so I was working with a lot of wine clients, and the thing about wine is that it's agriculture, and agriculture is fascinating, and there's a real provenance aspect to ag- agriculture. And when you think about provenance and where it came from, like how do you know that it really came from there? How can you be sure it's biodynamic? How can you be sure X, Y, and Z? Enter NFTs where you can track all of that. So a lot of people think NFTs, they think of the monkey um, pictures. Fantastic. But there's so many aspects to it, right? And so one of those aspects is being able to track that the wine that you're having or the milk formula or the, you know, whatever it is actually came from there. One of my favorite NFT projects is one around um, cattle and NFT cattle. So, you know, how like cattle have like little tags on their ears and stuff. So yeah, NFTs, they're just tokenized now and they're trackable on chain and it's transparent. And it's, you know, when you pair it up with the internet of things, like you can track their well-being, their temperature, you know, all those kind of amazing things. And so I got really stuck into the kind of nerdy stuff of it because of how it impacted in the real world. In my most recent work with um, Australia, I've been really fortunate to work with Australia Zoo through Meta Labs. Um, any chance I get to plug it, so you you can count on a marketer to plug their own projects. But one of the uh, one of the most amazing things that we did here was that okay, so this NFT project landed on my lap, and as the chief marketing officer, it's my job to give it strategy and give it some sort of legs. The beauty about Australia Zoo is they do so much incredible impact in this world, um, and it's like okay, well, how can we add to that? So I invented this term, which, by the way, you are all very happy to steal, and it's called MMI. It's Meaningful Measurable Impact because the tech allows us to have this, right? We can actually measure it based on what we're doing on chain. It's meaningful because it's actually a for-purpose project and it's actually having an impact. So I didn't really kind of lose my agency ways of like, hey, outcome focus. I actually put it into NFTs. So every NFT that people were purchasing was going towards 100% of proceeds was going towards the impact that Australia Zoo was doing. So in our first drop, which was an absolute success and sold out in under 12 hours in one of the worst days of crypto, those proceeds went towards tagging five crocs up in far north Queensland. In It's called the Steve Irwin Reserve. These kind of tags um it's kind of really kind of convoluted. So, so excuse me if I try and explain it in a simple way, but these kind of tags are like EPIRBs. So when you're out at sea, there's this like, and you're running into trouble, there's this tracker that sends out a signal that says, hey, everyone's in trouble. But what they're doing with these crocs is they're pairing it up with Queensland University and they track their distance they travel, how they interact, what they eat. Um, and it's really fascinating because you can actually track them through a link, which um, I'm really happy to share with you. So we actually got to make an impact by tagging one of those crocs. We actually got to name that croc. And now we can actually see 
how the tro- how like how the croc travels through far north Queensland through this tracker, which is phenomenal. So um so look in terms of that, that's I think that we as an industry kind of need to focus on some of the real world scenarios that we have out there. I haven't read too much into the project itself. I just know that you are now an expert on very many Australia zoo animals. <laughs> I'm sure I could ask you about any furry animal or any crocodile related fact. I'm sure you'd be great at a trivia night. Um, and so I guess if just to clarify, and I guess I think this will help with just for people understanding what NFTs are. So if I am a token holder, if I buy one of those NFTs from this project, and that's a once-off, I guess, con- contribution to this project. Like, what's the long-term plan for this? That's a really good question. Look, the contribution is um, is such, but there's also a secondary market, and this is where we kind of go on the uh, second kind of wave of getting deep into NFTs. In the secondary market is we can exchange things. So, for example, the way I tell people that are new to this, it's like an eBay. I own something now, I can put it up for auction, I can sell it, I can trade it, I can do kind of whatever I want because I own it. Um, whatever happens, so let's say, for example, I have my crocodile, I sell it to you, a percentage of that still continues to go to Australia Zoo. So the way that you can kind of continue to impact the project is quite phenomenal. And I think that there's an angle in here around fundraising and changing the way that we fundraise and the innovation behind it. And I think all it would take is a company that is really kind of gutsy to put it out there to kind of really change this fundraising model. Interesting. And I guess I'm asking this on behalf of, you know, everyone who's listening because a a lot of that is still quite murky. It's like you buy it once and then what happens next? You know, do I hold on to it? Do I sell it? How do I continue to – the irony is a way that I can continue to support the project is to sell (laughs) Which is very interesting, isn't it? It's more like normally you want to show off the badge of honour that, you know, you're contributing to this project, but it's like, well, if they need more money, I need to sell it and someone needs to buy it. So that contributes, you know, to an ongoing fund, hopefully, in the future. We've spoken a lot about your career and, and some really cool things that have happened throughout, but what are, what is a challenge that you can remember that you faced and how did you overcome that challenge? Oh, wow. Kat, there are many challenges, especially when you kind of owned your own business. You know what? I think one of the things that I see quite a lot is probably financial literacy. It took me a really long time to kind of get my head around how the finances worked because it's not something that we kind of get taught. It's not something like economics and finances and P&Ls and all these like, you know, um, accounting basics you kind of get taught so I was I was very lucky to kind of have a very solid accountant that kind of walked me through how to how to kind of have a business that was sound you know yeah look it was it was interesting because you know what I think now going back looking back now I'm like I'm so glad I was in my mid-20s when I started my business and um and I'm so glad that I didn't know what I know now (laughs) it was it was pure like ignorant optimistic yes I can change the world so it was fantastic for, for what it was but I think that's one of the things and then the other thing is around confidence around really kind of um feeling really confident in what you know I think particularly as women, one of the things that we try and do is get kind of validated by others. And sometimes we just have to pave our own path. Um, And that might mean that we're not very likable, might mean that someone says that we're, you know, 
a B-I-T-C-H, like, you know, all those things. The older I've gotten, the more comfortable I am knowing that I have made many mistakes along the way and that there are many people that aren't, uh, aren't not everybody is going to love you. I was expecting you to say something else. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. That's what were you expecting to me to say? I, I need know, to know what you, know. What you were like, thinking. Oh, I don't know, just some tech-related thing where it's like, oh, this one time it was going to break and then we were like, oh, crying. One time I had, um, I think it was like $50 in the account. I'm telling you again, financial literacy, and I had to do payroll. And I was, I was cuddles. Can I give you some cuddles? Cuddles are not how rents are paid apparently. But you know what? I, I really learned from that. It was like rock bottom. I had to borrow money from my, from my mum, you know, my pensioner mum um, to bail me out. Um, thankfully she, she lent me, she lent me rent money, but I swore to myself that I would never be in that situation again. And I think, uh, you know, <laughs> It took that for me to realise that there was this really big gap in my knowledge around, yes, it's one thing to um, have a really great service and, and an agency with a great vision. It's another thing to really run a business. So I think financial literacy has been something that I've seen in a lot of my peers as well and something in myself that uh, that I'm constantly working on and trying to learn more of. Do I see a, a financial literacy NFT project on the horizon? <laughs> I think NFTs in itself are financial literacy. <laughs> uh, please don't take this as investment advice. But, you yeah, know, thank you for sharing that. And it, you're right, it's so important. It's like there's a vision and the, there's the strategy and the creative around it, but then there's also like you've got to pay bills, <laughs> the reality of, of what you're out there to do. Um, just before we finish, I just have some quick fire questions for you, anything that comes out top of your head. Please, are you ready? Uh, favorite book? Oh, favorite book! Oh my god, I have so many. Like, what you kind of book? One. See, look at me. Look at this marketing person. What no. kind of book do you want? Fiction, non-fiction? <laughs> you, like, what? No. If if it, if your place is on fire and you could only like pull one book out and save. But I have so many lovely signed books. No, do you know what? Can I choose two? Okay, great. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers is a fascinating insight. He's fantastic. I listened to the audiobook and then I actually went and read the book and then listened to the audiobook again because I think it's a fascinating insight into humanity and how we often get it wrong in the way that we interact with each other, um, but how life kind of has a simple fix sometimes. Um and talking to strangers is just fun because, you know, me and talking. But anyway, um, so there's that one. And then the other one, which I think was really life-changing for me, is Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. You know, my brother says, and my brother says he's like, you worship Brene Brown in, a, like, in the same way that people have built religions. He's like, chill. <laughs> but women get me. They, they would understand me. They would totally 100% understand, and I've read that, and I agree. Um, Favourite podcast? oh my god see it's like Brene Brown again it's like oh she's got an incredible podcast on leadership which I absolutely love um and I love that it's a leadership through an angle of women because often we actually hear a lot of leadership from men and men's style of leadership means that women get looked at in a different way we have to build our own style of leadership that we're comfortable with best resource for tech wow that's a hard one you know what, I get a lot of, uh, this is going to make me sound so basic, but I get a lot of mine from Twitter. 
And the reason being is that particularly around crypto and Web3, um, everyone's got an opinion, right, which I, I love. But one of the things that I love about um, getting a lot of opinions on Twitter is that people go through on these threads and they do a lot of deep dive research. And then what I like to do is sit with many opinions and form my own. Yeah, not just having your own bias and sitting in that tunnel, uh, which uh, happens a lot, very often. I guess as, even with, you know, quote-unquote algorithms, like that's just what you're fed, right? And so you just keep going down that rabbit hole of, you know, confirming what you think you believe but getting further away from what reality actually is. I love being challenged on my beliefs where it's like, why do you believe that? So, well, tell me, tell me why I shouldn't like And, you know, it, let's, let's work together as to like, you know, teach me a different way. But I am very um, strong on my conviction, like some of my convictions. So um, so there's some that I can't be swayed on. So <laughs> just in case everyone comes to challenge me Preparing all Preparing for a Twitter war right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what hobby do you have at the moment? I love weightlifting. <gasps> you and me both. Stop it. Shut your mouth. Okay. Seriously? This is going to be a short podcast though if I do that. Um <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I'm, I do. I'm pretty sure you're going to be like, but can I talk more? <laughs> yeah, but can I just, just one more thing? Um, I do. I love weightlifting. Are you like weird. a power lifter or like any type of lifting? I used to do Olympic lifting, which sounds really right. Oh, my God, I'm like like kidding you right in the soul. But you know what? Now I do because <laughs> I hurt myself a few times. Not power lifting. I just hurt myself living life. I'm doing a lot of functional work now at the moment. Um, and working on some areas that are like really quite uh, weak in my body so that I can be strong and, you know, lift boulders and and just live better. Yeah. And actually running is another one that, um, so I weight lift so I can run and then I run so I can weight lift. It's weird. Man, you weight lift so you don't have to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but you know what? There, there is such incredible benefit to running. Um it's it's hard obviously it's really hard on your body which is why you should weight lift but um which sounds really weird right like hard on your body so make things harder but go lift it yeah but it's actually they're really quite complementary but the thing around running is that it's a real mind game you are like you are just in fighting and challenging your own brain so it is it's in, it's it's almost the way i see it is almost like the way you kind of have to fight your own brain in business. So, yeah, running and weightlifting. How weird is that? Weird hobbies. No, I mean, you wouldn't believe it, but I used to um, do CrossFit and then I injured. Me? We need to jo- – oh, my God. Okay, we're going to have a session at a box. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, well, Until I do my what? back. Yes, I was going to say, look, there's, there's mm. many benefits to CrossFit, but there's also a few caveats around most people end up um, injured at some point. Mm, mm, just because you want to go as heavy and as fast as you physically can. Yeah, but maybe we just can go for a walk. That's actually let's go for a walk. Let's sensible. Walking is underrated. Such losers. No, No, walking's underrated. Walking's great. (laughs) Walk in a coffee. Oh yeah, absolutely. Classic Aussie thing. Oh, you mean like around the tan? Oh, actually, live right near the tan. So yeah. Do you really? I do. Oh, okay. Well, it's a date then. I guess to close it out, what is it that our community can do to support you? That's beautiful. Oh, that's a really beautiful question. You know what? I, rather than make it about me, can I make it about us? 
You know what I think one of the things, I get really passionate about this, so you give me the little cutoff signal when uh, when I've been speaking for two hours, okay, but just give me two-hour grace. Um, but I think the thing that I would love is to onboard more women into this space. The thing about this emerging space is that we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, cut. I cannot stress that enough. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to build this industry. It's so incredibly new without any gaps in diversity. We don't have to go back after Microsoft and Apple and Facebook, whatever. We don't have to go back after all these big, gigantic things are built, turn around and go, oh, wait, where are all the women? Where are the people of colour? Where are the queer people? Where are the blah, you know? We don't have to do that. We can actually, we know now that when we're all together, we're best off. We build the best kinds of things when we take into consideration all the different diversities out there. So for me, I think the way that I would love is to see more women into this space. How do we do that? It's by curiosity is enough. As women, we tend to write things off because they seem too hard or like, you know, people are talking to us at such high levels or there's no women in that kind of space. But instead, I think what we should do is reach out to each other, support each other. Being a beginner is the best thing about this industry because nobody knows, nobody knows. I'm not an expert. You're not an expert. We're all learning as we go. And I'd love for more women to kind of come onto this journey with me and you and all the other women that are in here because I firmly believe in this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So if you are just a little bit curious and you're like WTF NFT or WTF Web3, come and chat to me. I would love to, like, chat and just get you curiosities enough for me that's what I'm hoping for and speaking of how do we connect with you you can follow me around the internet I am um, I'm everywhere um, you can follow me on LinkedIn Mariella Mejia that's usually where I share most of my work um, on Twitter is where I share a lot of um, inane tweets I talk a lot about how tuna is the superior meat for lunch but Mariella M is my Twitter handle and you can all just come and say hello and uh, and you will always, mostly always, get a response from me. Well, awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for making the time and just sharing so passionately and openly with us and for wording us up about what's happening and, and how we can get involved and and how we can make an impact. You know, I think, as you were saying, it's the first time in a long time that you get to do grassroots stuff and build from the bottom and, and make sure that it's built on a solid foundation rather than look retrospectively and then go underneath and go, oof, missing all these stumps. Yeah, no, so thank you so much. And, of course, thank you to everyone for hanging out with us today on the Women in Tech podcast. And, of course, to connect and collaborate with more incredible women like Mariella around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And please say hello to us on our socials at, at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. And until next time, stay safe, be red. Bye. Hi, this is Mariella. I'm a Chief Marketing Officer in Web3. I'm really passionate about onboarding more women into Web3. I think curiosity is enough. I'm based in Melbourne and you're listening to Women in Tech. 
The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.